Chapter Five of the Lamplighter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget Gage. The Lamplighter by Maria Susanna Cummins. Chapter Five. A light, busy foot astir in her small housewifery, the blithest bee that ever wrought in hive. Mitford. It was a stormy evening. Gertie was standing at the window, watching for True's return from his lamplighting. She was neatly and comfortably dressed. Her hair smooth, her face and hands clean. She was now quite well, better than for years before her sickness. Care and kindness had done wonders for her, and though still a pale and rather slender-looking child, with eyes and mouth disproportionately large to her other features, the painful look of suffering she had been wont to wear had given place to a happy, though rather grave, expression. On the wide window sill in front of her sat a plump and venerable cat. Parent to Gertie's lost darling, and for that reason very dear to her, she was quietly stroking its back, while the constant purring that the old veteran kept up proved her satisfaction at the arrangement. Suddenly, a rumbling, tumbling sound was heard in the wall. The house was old and furnished with ample accommodations for rats, who seemed from the noise to have availed themselves of this fact to give a ball. Such an excitement were they manifesting. One would almost have thought a chimney was falling down, brick by brick. It did not alarm Gertie, however. She was used to old rat-inhabited walls and too much accustomed to hearing such sounds all around her when she slept in the garret at Nan Grant's to be disturbed by them. Not so, however, with the ancient Grimalkin, who pricked up her ears and gave every sign of a disposition to rush into battle. No warhorse could have been more excited by the sound of the trumpet than was Puss at the rushing of her foes through the ceiling. Lie still, pussy," said Gertie. "Lie still, I say. Don't you be running off after rats. You must sit up straight and be good, till you see Uncle True coming, so's to hear what he'll say when he sees the room and me." Here Gertie turned and glanced around the room with an air of infinite satisfaction, then clambering upon the wide, old-fashioned window sill where she could see up the yard and have a full view of the lamplighter the moment he entered the gate. She took the cat in her arms, smoothed down her dress. Gave a look of interest and pride at her shoes and stockings, and then composed herself with a determined effort to be patient. It would not do, however. She could not be patient. It seemed to her that he never came so late before, and she was just beginning to think he would never come at all when he turned into the gate. It was nearly dark, but Gertie could see that there was some person with him. He did not look tall enough to be Mr. Cooper, and did not step like him, but she concluded it must be he. For whoever it was stopped at his door further up the yard and went in. Impatient as Gertie had been for True's arrival, she did not run to meet him as usual, but waited in a listening attitude until she heard him come in through the shed, where he was in the habit of stopping to hang up his ladder and lantern, and remove the soiled frock and overalls which he wore outside his clothes when about his work. She then ran and hid behind the door by which he must enter the room. She evidently had some great surprise in store for him, and meant to enjoy it to the utmost. The cat, not being so full of the matter, whatever it was, was more mindful of her manners, and went to meet him, rubbing her head against his legs, which was her customary welcome. "Hello, Whiskers," said True. "Where's my little gal?" He shut the door behind him as he spoke, thus disclosing Gertie to view. She sprang forward with a bound, laughed, and looked first at her own clothes. And then in True's face to see what he would think of her appearance. Well, I declare," said he, lifting her up in his arms and carrying her nearer to the light. 
Little folks do look famous. New gown, apron, shoes, got em all on. And who fixed your hair? My, you ain't none too handsome, sartin, but you do look famous nice. Mrs. Sullivan dressed me all up and brushed my hair. And more, too. Don't you see what else she has done? True followed Gertie's eyes as they wandered around the room. He looked amazed enough to satisfy her anticipations, great as they had been, and no wonder. He had been gone since morning, and things had indeed undergone a transformation. Women's hands had evidently been at work, clearing up and setting to rights. Until Gertie came to live with True, his home had never been subjected to female intrusion. Living wholly by himself, and entertaining scarcely any visitors, it had been his habit to make himself comfortable in his own way, utterly regardless of appearances. In his humble apartment, sweeping day came but seldom, and spring cleaning was unknown. Two large windows, facing the yard, were treated with great injustice, the cheerful light they were capable of affording being half obscured by dirt and smoke. The corners of the ceiling were festooned with cobwebs. The high, broad mantelpiece had accumulated a curious medley of things useful and useless, while there was no end to the rubbish that had collected under the stove. Then the furniture, some of which was very good, was adjusted in the most inconvenient manner, and in a way to turn the size of the room to the least possible advantage. During Gertie's illness, a bed made up on the floor for True's use, and the various articles which had been required in her sick-room, had increased the clutter to such an extent that one almost needed a pilot to conduct him in safety through the apartment. Now Mrs. Sullivan was the soul of neatness. Her rooms were like waxwork. Her own dress was almost Quaker-like in its extreme simplicity, and freedom from the least speck or stain. No one could meet her old father or her young son, even in their working dress, without perceiving at once the evidence of a careful daughter and mother's handiwork. It was to nurse Gertie, and to take care of her in True's absence, that she first entered a room so much the reverse of her own. And it is not easy to appreciate the degree in which the virtue and charity of her doing so was enhanced, unless one can realize how painful the contrast was to her, and how excessively annoying she found it, to spend sometimes a whole afternoon in a room which, as she expressed herself afterwards at home, it would have been a real pleasure to her to clear up and put to rights, if it were only to see how it would look, and whether anybody would recognize it. Mrs. Sullivan was a little bit of a woman, but had more capability and energy than could have been found in any one among twenty others twice her size. She really pitied those whose home was such a mass of confusion. She felt sure that they could not be happy, and inwardly determined, as soon as Gertie got well, to exert herself in the cause of cleanliness and order, which was in her eyes the cause of virtue and happiness. So completely did she identify outward neatness and purity with inward peace. She pondered in her own mind how she could broach the subject of a renovation in his affairs to True himself, without wounding his feelings. For she herself was so sensitive on a point of neatness, that she imagined he must be somewhat the same. And the little woman, being as tender-hearted as she was tidy, would not have mortified him for the world, when a mode of action was suggested to her by Gertie herself. On the day previous to that on which the great cleaning operations took place, Gertie was observed by Mrs. Sullivan, standing in the passage near her door, and looking shyly, but wistfully, in. "'Come in, Gertie,' said the kind little woman. "'Come in and see me. Here,' added she, seeing how timid the child felt about intruding herself into a strange room. "'You may sit up here by the table, and see me iron. This is your own little dress. 
I am smoothing it out, and then your things will be all done. You'll be glad of some new clothes, shan't you? Very glad, marm, said Gertie. Am I to take them away and keep them all myself? Yes, indeed, said Mrs. Sullivan. I don't know where I'll put em all. There ain't no place in our room, at least, no very nice place, said Gertie, glancing with admiration at the open drawer in which Mrs. Sullivan was now placing the little dress, adding it to a pile of neatly folded garments. Why, part of them, you know, you'll be wearing, said Mrs. Sullivan, and we must find some good place for the rest. You've got good places for things, said Gertie, looking round the room. This is a very beautiful room, isn't it? Why, it isn't very different from Mr. Flint's. It's just about the same size, and two front windows like his. My cupboard is the best. Yours is only a three cornered one, but that's about all the difference. Oh, but then yours don't look one bit like ours. You haven't got any bed here, and all the chairs stand in a row, and the table shines, and the floor is so clean, and the stove is new, and the sun comes in so bright. Oh, I wish our room was like this. I shouldn't think ours was more than half as big either. Why, Uncle True stumbled over the tongs this morning, and he said there wasn't room there to swing a cat. Where were the tongs? said Mrs. Sullivan. About in the middle of the floor, marm. Well, you see, I don't keep things in the middle of the floor. I think, if your room were all cleaned up, and places found for everything, it would look almost as well as mine. I wish it could be fixed up nice, said Gertie. But what could be done with those beds? I've been thinking about that. There's that little pantry, or bathing room. I think it must have been once, when this house was new, and rich people lived in it. That's large enough to hold a small bedstead and a chair or two. Twould be quite a comfortable little chamber for you. There's nothing in it but rubbish that might just as well be thrown away. Or if it were good for anything, put in the shed. Oh, that'll be nice, said Gertie. Then Uncle True can have his bed back again, and I'll sleep on the floor in there. No, said Mrs. Sullivan. It won't be necessary for you to sleep on the floor. I've got a very good little cross-legged bedstead that my Willie slept on when he lived at home, and I will lend it to you, if you'll try to take good care of it and of everything else that is put into your room. Oh, I will, said Gertie. But can I? added she, hesitating. Do you think I can? I don't know how to do anything. You never have been taught to do anything, my child, but a girl eight years old can do a great many things. If she is patient and tries hard to learn, I could teach you to do a great deal that would be useful, and that would help your uncle True very much. What could I do? You could sweep the room up every day. You could make the beds, after a fashion, with a little help in turning them. You could set the table, toast the bread, and wash the dishes. Perhaps you would not do these things in the best manner at first, but you would keep improving, and by and by get to be quite a nice little housekeeper. Oh, I wish I could do something for Uncle True, said Gertie, but how could I ever begin? In the first place, you must have things cleaned up for you. If I thought Mr. Flint would like it, I'd get Kate McCarty to come in some day and help us, and I think we could make a great improvement in his house. Oh, I know he'd like it, said Gertie. Twould be grand. May I help? Yes, you may do what you can, but Kate'll be the best hand. She's strong, and knows how to do cleaning very well. Who's she? Said Gertie. Kate? She's Mrs. McCarty's daughter in the next house. Mr. Flint does them many a good turn, saws wood and so on. They do most of his washing, but they can't half pay him all the kindness he's done that family. Kate's a clever girl. She'll be glad to come and work for him any day. I'll ask her. Will she come tomorrow? Perhaps she will. 
"'Uncle True's going to be gone all day to-morrow,' said Gertie. "'He's going to get in Mr. Eustace's coal. "'Wouldn't it be a good time?' "'Very,' said Mrs. Sullivan. "'I'll try and get Kate to come to-morrow.' Kate came. The room was thoroughly cleaned, and put in complete order. Gertie's new clothes were delivered over to her own keeping. She was neatly dressed in one suit, the other placed in a little chest which was found in the pantry, and which accommodated her small wardrobe very well. It was the result of all Mrs. Sullivan's, Kate's, and Gertie's combined labor, which called forth True's astonishment on his return from his work. And the pleasure he manifested made the day a memorable one in Gertie's life, one to be marked in her memory as long as she lived, as being the first in which she had known that happiness, perhaps the highest earth affords, of feeling that she had been instrumental in giving joy to another. Not that Gertie's assistance had been of any great value, or that all could not have been done as well, or even better, if she had been where Nan Grant always put her, out of the way. But the child did not realize that. She had been one of the laborers. She had entered heart and soul into every part of the work. Wherever she had been allowed to lend a helping hand, she had exerted her whole strength. She could say with truth, We did it, Mrs. Sullivan, Kate, and I. None but a loving heart, like Mrs. Sullivan's, would have understood and sympathized in the feeling which made Gertie so eager to help. But she did, and allotted to her many little services, which the child felt herself more blessed in being permitted to perform than she would have done at almost any gift or favor that could have been bestowed upon her. She led True about, to show him how judiciously and ingeniously Mrs. Sullivan had contrived to make the most of the room and the furniture, how by moving the bed into a deep recess, which was just wide enough for it, she had reserved the whole square area, and made, as True declared, a parlor of it. It was some time before he could be made to believe that half his property had not been spirited away, so incomprehensible was it to him that so much additional space and comfort could be acquired by a little system and order. But his astonishment and Gertie's delight reached their climax, when she introduced him into the former lumber closet now transformed into a really snug and comfortable bedroom. "'Well, I declare! Well, I declare!' was all the old man could seem to say. He sat down beside the stove, now polished, and made, as Gertie declared, new, just like Mrs. Sullivan's, rubbed his hands together, for they were cold with being out in the frosty evening, and then spreading them in front of the fire, took a general view of his reformed domicile, and of Gertie, who, according to Mrs. Sullivan's careful instructions, was preparing to set the table and toast the bread for supper. She was standing on a chair, taking down the cups and saucers from among the regular rows of dishes, shining in the three-cornered cupboard, having already deposited on the lower shelf, where she could reach it from the floor, a plate containing some smoothly cut slices of bread, which the thoughtful Mrs. Sullivan had prepared for her. True watched her motions for a minute or two, and then indulged in a short soliloquy. Mrs. Sullivan's a clever woman, sartin, and they've made my old house here complete. And Gertie's getting to be like the apple of my eye. And I'm as happy a man as... End of chapter 5